I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now, this week, in lieu of a horror film, as it's nearly Halloween, spooky, we're doing another shocker to some, with 2014's The Monuments Men. Oh, I like that. That was a good intro. It was all off the top of the dome. Yeah, that was planned. That was no, good. No, that was all off, off the what dome. Marvelous. <laughs> yes. Contentious one, this one. You know what? It's almost as contentious as a, as a film that came out around the same time. Fury, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. We, I forget this is in that that Sony leak era where everything around 2014, 13 got mm. leaked. Yeah. Um, so we threatened it a few weeks ago. If you, if you heard, we, did. And we gave, we gave our takes then and, and they might have changed actually, to be fair. We'll see. Um, it's an interesting film to say the least. So I think I'll start with production, give you an overview and then Matt will do cast as, as we do. So this one's directed by George Clooney. Now started his directing career in 2002 with Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, uh, 2005's Good Night and Good Luck, which he also received an Oscar nomination for Best Director, 2008 Leatherheads, which is an American sports comedy about the early NFL, um, and then The Ides of March in 2011. This I'm not doing films post uh, Monuments Men at the moment, just because, you know, we'd be here forever. Um, the, the film was co-written by Clooney and Grant Hesloff, an actor, director, writer and producer who frequently works with Clooney on his uh, directing credits. Um, but his individual credits include 2012's Argo. Um, he directed The Men That Stare at Goats, which is a film we could do on the show. That's an interesting yeah, one. Yeah. Um, and both men acted as uh, Monuments Men's producers, with the script being based upon the 2009 book The Monuments Men by Robert M. Eden and Brett Witter. 
Um, cinematography was by Faden uh, Papa Michael, a two-time Oscar-nominated Greek cinematographer. His credits include 2005's Walk the Line, 2007's 310 to Yuma, 2013's Nebraska with Bruce Dern. That's a great film if anyone hasn't seen it. Um, and more recently, 2023's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I know Matt went to see that. I did. And we we didn't talk about it at the time because of the, the strikes. Um, and the preamble to that is set during the war. So we could technically talk about mm -hmm. Indiana mm -hmm. Jones mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. his interactions with Nazis on the pod in a, in a theoretical future episode. But I will say that the cinematography on the film was very good. Yes. Yes. And the cinematography in this is absolutely fine. Um, there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it at all. Um, and we'll talk about more of that, more along that elk as we go along. Now, it's co-produced by Columbia Pictures, uh, Fox 2000 Pictures and a German studio, um, Babelsberg um, and Clooney's own Smokehouse Pictures. And it was distributed by Sony in the US and 20th Century Fox everywhere else. Um, it's filmed in March 2013 at the Babelsberg Studios in Germany with support from the German Film Fund with many locations in the Berlin-Brandenburg area. Um, the mines around Bad Grud were used for location sequences and scenes at the airfield in the UK were shot at IWM Duxford in Kent. Little fact on that one. Memphis Bell features in the background of, it, of the Duxford sequence, which is a lovely and little reference. another plane which I, I couldn't identify because you just catch the tail of it. Like yeah, it. but it is apparently it is Memphis Bell. Yeah, that's cool. Which it? is nice. Um, and it's originally, this one's interesting because it was originally scheduled for a Christmas 2013 release to put it in awards contention for that year. But it was pushed back to 2014 um, and it was eventually released in early February. Um, now, this I found about three reasons for this and, and not not. So I think it's an amalgamation of all three rather than one being. Right. That's what I right. think anyway. So um, one was the CGI wasn't completed on time and Clooney was quoted um, in the LA Times at the time saying we just didn't have enough time. If any of the effects look cheesy, the whole movie would look cheesy. We simply don't have enough people to work enough hours to finish it, which I thought, OK, fair enough. You're not you're not crunching your your crew like fair play because um, that can happen in the industry. It does happen quite a lot. Um, secondly, there seems to be issues with the final edit, trying to get that tone right between the comic, comedic and serious themes. Um, and as well, which is another key factor, I assume, was uh, the composer uh, Alexandre Desplat not having recorded the score in time for the December release date. So that's, that's quite kind of fundamental. Yeah. Quite a concoction. Yeah. I mean, they could yeah, have gone and used it. You need a score. You definitely got do some, need a score. Got some free, free to play music. <laughs> some MIDI, some MIDI yeah. uh, soundtracks over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the soundtrack's fine. Exactly. We'll throw um, the Medal of Honor soundtrack over it. That'll be fine. <laughs> but it worked. Um, so uh, the budget was 70 to 90 million dollars with 155 million taken at the box office. Hard to say if it was profitable. I think it probably just about broke even, but then mm. when you factor in marketing, it may not have even um, made a profit. And the movie was panned at the time. I remember it coming out and being quite, quite panned and not in the same way Fury was. Fury was quite well received, but this one seemed to, um, seemed to get all the flack. Um, and there were leaked emails, as we mentioned earlier in the show, about that Sony leak um, between Clooney and Sony chair um, Amy Pascal. And it showed that Clooney was really upset by the reviews. And, and I've got a snippet from the emails that he sent. It says, it's getting worse. I need protection from all the reviews. Let's just make it a hit. I haven't slept in 30 hours and it's 7 a.m. And on that note, let's look at one of those retro reviews. <laughs> Couldn't help it. I've planned that. 
Um, <laughs> so this comes from Mark Commode, you know, extremely famous British um, reviewer. I think it might be the first time we've had a Mark Commode review on the show, actually. He's very welcome to join us anytime. Oh, we'd love to have you on, Mark, if you're listening. Bring awesome. Simon Mayo along with you as well. Absolutely. Um, and this comes from uh, February 16th, 2014, and I've cut it down for flow. But it's about three paragraphs. So it's, uh, he says, look at the famous faces adorning the posters for this Second World War caper, and it's hard to figure out whether they're meant to be stony-faced or ever so slightly smirking. The same is true of the film, which wobbles uneasily between twinkly smiles and schmaltzy frowns, struggling to decide just how seriously to take its subject matter. The message is clear. Fight people and they fight back. Destroy their culture and they cease to exist. And neither Clooney nor co-writer Grant Hesloff is afraid to say this out loud, assuring no one misses the point. In The Monuments Men, words speak louder than action. Yet the tonal uncertainty undermines complete engagement, taking the edge off both the drama and comedy, leaving the film floundering episodically in no man's land. A revisionist Hollywood hodgepodge, easy on the eye, gentle on the heart, light on the head. Mm. And that has a few reviews like that at the time. Yep, yeah, I, I read a couple myself, and um, it was pretty much panned by historians at the time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, around historical accuracy. It was considered broadly okay in, mm. in sort of approach, but not really in the in the detail. It, it's a we'll talk we'll talk about this towards final sure. thoughts and stuff. But to me, it seems not only is it tonally, you know, a bit of a shapeshifter, but also in terms of production as well, like some things are done really well and then other things mm. seem a little bit rushed, which you alluded to earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I'd, I'd sort of echo that, Matt, but I think the one-word reviews will show that as well. So we had <laughs> yeah. 90 um, old responses. Thanks for the thanks for the engagement again, guys. We love hearing what you think. So I'm just going to pick a At few out random. On Twitter? I mean, X. Please do. X, yep. Check us out if you don't. Um, and these are in no particular order. Um, and some are longer than one word, but it's our show. Do what the hell we want. Um, so the Damcasters pod goes with uh, fart, F, parentheses, close parentheses, art. Um, Philip Blood um, went with a more uh, more than a few words, but they are very good. So he said, uh, citing a sentence from my Arkin manuscript, the film is a travesty for the history of the stolen art and a dreadful distortion of what happened in Arkin. Chai tend to agree with um that they jump away from anywhere that you could like pin like historically quite quickly i feel mm, um that's fair they they like, kind of like go to places nod to them and then move on yeah it's like a greatest hits of northwest europe mm. for a little bit so it's like oh look yeah. normandy beach oh look oh look there's the bridge from rom in the background oh no too late you know it's he was gone yeah. Um, so, uh, continuing the one word reviews, uh, we have Al Murray just went, which I quite liked. <laughs> um, Tom McCall put abject. Um, Seri Tor- Thomas, he, he didn't put any spaces, so it counts not as bad as World on Fire. <laughs> Mary Brazier went with meh. Adam Christiansen said too many chefs in the kitchen. Mm. AD Bond goes with floundering. Uh, Bill 1940 medal campaign, flawed. Um, Dave Current goes with disappointing. Peter Doyle simply says shite. And Ian McKellen, <laughs> to round us off, goes with twee. But there were many, 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 many more. Um, and the general consensus nice. seems to have been that everyone thought that it was a little bit subpar. 
meandering to poor, I think would be mm. fair. Like a cynic yeah. would be like, it was fucking shit. Um, but yeah. and it's hard. It's the, we're going to jump in early to Final Thoughts territory, but it, it is like that. Um, and I, I, I'm, I've seen it three times now. I watched it when it came out and I thought, eh, it's all right. Because I knew nothing about the Monuments Men. Yeah. But the more that you delve into their history, and there are some fantastic lectures, documentaries out there on the Monuments Men, like what they did was incredible. Um, mm. But this movie does just boil it down to six bumbling over-the-hill men bumbling around yeah, Northwest Europe. For the comedic sort of yeah, yeah. aspect of it, isn't it? Mm. I suppose on that note, cast. Yeah, cast. So, as we know, George Clooney not only directed and wrote the screenplay, um, but he was also the the lead of the film. And he plays uh, Lieutenant Frank Stokes, um, who is based loosely on George L. Stout. Um, And, of course, George has been in The Thin Line, Three Kings, uh, 2000 um, teleplay of Failsafe, which I would love to see. the Man Who Stare at Goats, sorry, The Men Who Stare at Goats, which we mentioned earlier, Catch-22 in 2019, and he's won two Oscars. Then yeah. we've got Matt Damon, who plays uh, Lieutenant James Granger, who's loosely based, apparently, on uh, James uh, Rorimer. And he's been in, in a number of uh, military... You know, sort of... uh, what I'm going to do is, because these people have been in so many films... I'm just going to try and just keep it to the sort of military-esque. Yeah, of course. Sort of area, I mean, I think as we I normally think people do. Know what George Clooney's been in? These are huge actors. This isn't he a, is. this and isn't that's why people go. Why ensemble. is he just mentioning like three films? It's because I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to. We do it all the time on the show. It's fine. Yeah, people it's, know it's, by now. Literally, just for new listeners. Um, Matt Damon. Uh, he was in Geronimo and American Legend, which we did a show and tell about a little while ago. He's in Geronimo. Um, wow, I never knew well, that. He had like a very small role. Okay. Um, Save it Private Ryan in 1998, of course. The Bourne movies, Green Zone in 2010. And he's won one Oscar. Then we got Bill Murray. He was in Stripes in 1981. He was in Space Jam in uh, 1996. Yes, Starfield thanks, in 2004. The Greatest Beer on Ever in 2022. And of course, <laughs> and of course he's been nominated for one Oscar. Yeah. Um, then we've got John Goodman, um, whose character uh, uh, Walter Garfield is based on Walter Hancock. And Goodman was in early in his career. This one's for Rob. Was in an episode of Equalizer. Yes, um, he was. That's a great episode. He was he also gets tricked in... into robbing a bank. Well, there you go. <laughs> he was also in the Flintstones, the Borrowers, King Ralph, and uh, Arachnophobia, The Big Lebowski, uh, Clifford's really big movie, Argo. You've chosen some amazing ones here. <laughs> no Roseanne, <laughs> no Monsters Inc. No, no, nothing, nothing people I'm, I'm actually cherry remember. <laughs> cherry picking the best, Rob. Um, Ten Cloverfield Lane, Atomic yeah. Bond, uh, and he's had 11 Emmy nominations. Wow. Uh, then we've got uh, Jean Jordan, who plays Second Lieutenant Jean-Claude Clement. And he has been, of course, in lots of French films, lots of, um, lots of Hollywood movies once he crossed over. Um, in terms of sort of military-esque uh, roles, he's been in o- the OSS 117 series, which is like a French spy comedy series of films. Um, Return of the Hero, which is like a Napoleonic farce, which looks really good. Actually, I watched a trailer for that. I haven't seen it, but it looks good. Uh, he was in An Officer and a Spy in 2019, which was interesting. And he's, of course, won one Oscar. For the artist, then we've got... which he robbed off Gary Oldman. I can't, oh, let, I can't let that slide. For Rob. 
Then we've got Bob Babalan. Babalan? Balaban. Balaban Balaban. Bob Balaban. Then we've got Bob Balaban, who was in the original 1970 version of Catch-22. Wow. He was in Jacob the Liar in 1999 with Robin Williams, uh, which is a, a film. Then we've got Wormwood, uh, 2017. <laughs> That's staying in. Which is a film. Oh, Christ. It's a really odd film. It, it's a it's a ghetto, Polish ghetto, Warsaw ghetto. Oh, film. wow. With okay. um, Robin Williams, where he basically he pretends to have a radio, and he kind of gives the ghetto hope. It's it's a very unusual film. We could actually do it on the mm, pod. That sounds um, interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we've got uh, Condor, uh, twenty eighteen, and of course one Oscar nom. Yes. Uh, then we've got Hugh Bonneville, Stahl Gluff in uh, nineteen ninety three. He was the air officer on the destroyer in Tomorrow Never Dies in nineteen ninety seven. Um, he was in The Glorious 39 in 2009. And of course, he was in uh, a mildly successful TV show and franchise called Downton Abbey. I thought uh, you say W1A there. All the things. <laughs> yeah, for you. Yeah, he's in like, yeah I love that show. It's fantastic. Um, and then we have no Oscar. Did you not have an Oscar for, uh, on that? No, no, I was going to say. Yeah. Bathroom? Yeah, Surely. Um, yes. I think National can, Television I, Awards, at I least. Think he, I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, then we've got Kate Blanchett. Uh, who uh, plays um, a, an interesting character, uh, Claire Simone, who is based on Rose Balland, uh, or Balan, I suppose. She could have just been French. Rose Balland. That's one, honest, one of my biggest honestly, issues like, with this movie. Uh, why is there not a Rose Balland film? Yeah, that's anyway, in my notes more later, that later anyway. Sorry. Um, yeah. Kate's you know, best known for her uh, roles in the two Elizabeth films, uh, The Aviator, I'm Not There, uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, um, Lord of the Rings, eight Oscar noms, two wins. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, then we've got Dimitri Leonidas, uh, who plays Sam Epstein. And he was in Centurion in 2010, Renegades in 2017. He's going to be in Masters of the Air and a series Ooh. called For Those About to Die, which is a gladiator um, sort of okay. series, which is on the cards, apparently. And then we have uh, Justice von Donahue. Donna Donahue. I think it's it's pronounced. I apologize, uh, Justice, if I've mispronounced that terribly. And he was the SS officer, Victor Stahl. Um, he was in The World Is Not Enough in 1999, uh, Before the Fall in 2004, and he was in Downfall in 2004 as well. Nice. And then we have to mention uh, Nick Clooney, who plays old George Clooney, or yeah. old uh, Frank Stokes, uh, in the film When He Visits Bruges. Uh, in what looks like the 70s at the very end of the yes. film. Also, shout out Mild Jupp, um, very uh, successful British comedian who plays the officer Major. of the 51st yeah. Highland Division, That's which right. is a lovely little, if you're British and you like, you know, if you watch Mock the Week and all them kind of shows back in the day, you'll know who Miles Jupp is. Um, very good, very good comedian. I like he him. He plays Major um, Fielding. Major Fielding, yeah, he's great in it. Nice to see him as well. And Sam Heseltine plays um, another officer in it as well yes um, Colonel Langdon um, that's it Sam he was Hesel, in Slow Hesel Horses Dine, he played um, one of the terrorists Slow Horses he was in uh, The War Below that's um, it that's where I blooming knew him from yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to be in a couple of other things uh, uh, coming up I forget exactly um, what he's got on the cards I think he's um, oh he was recently in The Last Duel as well wasn't yes. he um, 
Well, it's it's um it's a very very strong cast, I mean, very yeah. strong. Like you look at that amazing. on paper and you think, Jesus, this film is going to be powerhouse, and yeah, it just isn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, it has its it has its problems, and I think I do think we because we could wax lyrical about this, but I want to save it for final thoughts. So we will be here forever. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so maybe we should get into the alley tally because this film had some redeeming features before Ooh, we yeah. get into the nitty gritty and we take a bite of that poop sandwich that the movie can be sometimes. Let's get into the alley tally. Poop sandwich. That's that's the first use of the term poop sandwich we've had on the pod. That's for sure. I just wanted to self-censor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> it's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So I'll, I'll kick off. I I think I might get some flack for this, but I think it's perhaps one of the more accomplished war movies in terms of set dressing, equipment, and uniforms of the last ten years from Western cinema. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it. the mise en scène of this film is on point. It's exquisite. There's it so really much, is impressive. There is so much going on. So Louise Frogley, she led the costume department and her credits include Iron Man, Casino Royale, and she's a four-time Costume Design Guild Award winner. And wow. boy, does it show. So my pick this week for the Alley Tally is the uniforms and the webbing and everything else. So you have US, British, German and Soviets all in one movie. I don't think we've mm-hmm. had that on the show. In Northwest Europe. In Northwest Europe, yeah. So, and they all look right. There's nothing I could pick out that looked wrong. I mean, you've got a couple of guys are wearing pistol um, holsters, which I'm not sure they would have had, but then the Monuments Men may well have had sidearms. I don't know enough about an individual kit of the Monuments Men um, to say that's wrong. Um, but there's just small things that someone somewhere is taking a lot of effort into getting right. So um, when uh, Clooney and co get off the landing craft, you've got, um Jean and you've got uh Hugh Bonneville's character wearing battle dress and mm-hmm. 37 webbing and number four rifles. You've got uh the American uh, uh monuments men wearing American kit and it's all M42 stuff. Um, and they've got the you know they've even got down to uh, their life belts around their waists, which is lovely. Um but then later on in the movie you see a representation of uh Christmas time 1944, and in that scene and after everyone starts wearing M43 uniforms. And that is such a really, really nice thing 
because the American army did switch to M43 in the latter half of 1944. It was ready to go um, for D-Day, but they just, I, the, the thing is, I think they didn't have enough or they were still making them or they just weren't issued yet. Um, but that is such a lovely little thing. And then you, you, you've got Bob Balaban knocking around in a Mackinac coat, very Ernie Pyle-esque. Um, the Germans have felled ground and later on they have their smocks and camo. Um, and, and I looked up some um, prop websites. Uh, so I was trying to find out who who did the, the propping, but I couldn't really yeah. work it out. Couldn't find a, a name attached to company. Uh, but there's even small things in there, like um, recreating documents, um, listing artwork that the monuments men would have had on them at the time. Just it's really small things like that. It really builds the movie up. You know, it's not like a, a one tent in a field. There's 30, 40 tents. There's, troops going across in the background there's period vehicles going past it it yeah. builds it so well um and that's my it pick. does that it's thing just... that fury does well is where it builds depth of field yes. where you have stuff going on in the you know the background and the more you look the more you notice sort of thing that's it yeah yeah um and we have one instance of the bedford report it's back for a week there is one beddy i found it it's a Bedford it. QLD um, in the armoured column where Clooney and Chloe drive past a British truck column, nice. which is really nice. Um, but there's Opal Blitzes in there, GMC Juice and a Halfs, Greyhounds. There's Audi. even an Audi, yeah, Audi staff car. There's even a recreated Greyhound. for the film Gaz BA64 armoured car, a Soviet one. Yes. And for me, that's just crazy. It's There's in some... it for literally 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. It's like two scenes. And they've all got gases and they've got like the trucks that the, the Soviets used. I can't remember the name of them, but I'm like, the level of detail going on is just, yeah, it's mad. And on a 70 million budget as well. Like I was so impressed. It's mm, very true, actually. That is true. Um, It's the same for weapons. Like if, if I just dial in on weapons for a moment, like, it is impressive because everyone has a correct, you know, weapon. Like mm. as you mentioned, um, they mostly have M1 carbines. So there's some M1 Garands in there. There's a Matt Damon has a Thompson at the very end of the film. Um, there's a training montage where there's chaps firing pistols, and there's an English guy next to Bob Balaban who has a Webley. Um, Hugh Bonneville's character carries an Enfield number two Mark One with the hammer spur, and then. Um, John Claude carries a Enfield number two Mark One star with the the uh, the bobbed hammer. Um, it, it's it's impressive a lot going because on here. there yeah. is an awful the, the Soviets you know there's PPSH forty ones there's a DP like machine gun there's M thirty eight Mosins there's a douche on the back of one of the Ural trucks. Yeah. Um, Ural, the, that's the, it. Yeah, the the young the young Hitler Jürgen um, kid has a Steyr Mannlicher. Like a yeah. like a full length World War One eighty I think eighteen ninety five yeah um and yeah eighteen ninety five small Manlika. way showing the issues of rifles that the Germans yes, get into at exactly. the end of the war even if it's unintentional it it's doing it I, I mean they've probably looked at a thing and gone oh he's got a style like this Hitler mm. youth has got a style um yeah and look at and I love that scene uh, it's got it's a nice little nod to like the Bridge of Remagen actually mm-hmm. um, it is actually that sequence yeah. um. And a couple of other films, actually, to be fair. But as we said, the mise en scène is really good. I mean, yeah. it, it, the uniforms, even for you know background, is really good. I mean, there's a there's a um, there's an M45 quad 
M2 Browning yeah, in the back nice. of a, of a, of yeah. a truck. There's an M8 Greyhound. There's yeah. um, copious trucks, copious uh, scout cars. It's it's an impressive you know, for a collection movie that of... gets lambasted so much for its story. You can't you can't go hard on it for its no, authenticity in terms uh, of kit and equipment for that yeah. definitely. Because it it as well it's even just down to scenes where, for instance, when Bonneville's trying to find the statue, um, Saint Michael, he he goes to that chateau or it's like a ruined building, and you've got British troops that have clearly taken it and they're holding it, and they've they've got the Jerry troops as prisoner there. But it, it, and even that in the background, I was looking, and I was like, well, that guy's weapons, yeah, that's perfect, yeah, that guy's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it it's all there, and I think that's another thing that irks me about this movie, where I'm like, you've got everything right, like a couple of it, the maps were a bit, bit too iffy, modern, but maps maps and movies are a bit but, iffy. We we found that but, on the show, absolutely, but that is purely because it, military maps are very hard to read at a glance on screen, right? Okay, in yeah. this case. In other films like PT two one eight or whatever, yeah, they're just not the right map. They're just weird maps found somewhere else. um, Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already, because there's a diatribe on maps. It's quality. I think in in this case, it's simply because it's at a glance they're pointing to places, and it needs to be clear. Um, Mm, mm. But as you said, they recreated documents, and there's there's recreations of the um, the diary that uh, Rose Valan Valand kept uh, over, over the movements of all of the different uh, pieces of art um that's recreated and it, it, there's there's a level of detail that the costume and prop department went to which is really impressive yeah exactly like no it just feels like no expense spared and i mean i know, i think matt's gonna fill us in a little bit on the historical context because we can't ignore it um unfortunately this week sometimes we gloss over it we can let it go but i think this that's what irks people as much so i watched a really good lecture on YouTube earlier. Um, and it was from um, the Met um, Museum. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, and it was by... Great museum. Yeah, it was by... Uh, Jennifer. started with Jennifer Mock and had a, a couple of other historians um, and uh, an art uh, conservationist. And it was it was the story about the Monuments Men and they were... They sort of like were underfunded. They struggled to get kit yeah. and equipment. Um, but then it really interestingly, I didn't even know this... A one of the monuments men, and I forget his name, I should have written it down. Um, but he produced a field guide about how you conserve and protect artwork and pieces when you find them. And Amazing. I didn't even know that. And the fact they don't allude to that in the movie is really annoying. Like it's it's such simple little things that I'm sure are in the 2009 book. I'm sure they're in there, but it's just it's not, you know, it it's not, it's not. Uh, it's not breached in the movie. It's not. It's not put up to, for the audience, and I think it would have helped the audience. Where, especially me, someone who is is quite, I wouldn't say like a uh, a Neanderthal when it comes to art, but I'm not clued up on why these paintings are so blooming important. I know a, a that lot they of are, people of are not going to be clued up on Renaissance art. It, yeah, that's, exactly. As a general audience, people just, you know, they they'll understand some of the significance of it, but they're not going to know. The, mm. the intricacies of various pieces which are mentioned yeah of course like the, the madonna in bruges um and and such yeah like, you know yeah. why the why the statue at the end is so blooming important to so many people yeah. and i feel the movie tries but it doesn't like you mm. could have easily had a sequence where someone finds a painting and they try and rip it off a wall and one of the monuments there and goes oh hang on no don't don't move that you could 
that you know that that's one of the most important paintings in, in the Christian faith. Like, please leave yeah. it alone. We have to deal with this properly. There's, there's that's a really a nice mono. Don't move that. Yeah, exactly. There, there's moments <laughs> where that. I feel, and then and then the movie does a thing where it bludgeons you over the head with it later mm. on when Balaban finds that Picasso painting and it's been burnt and it says Picasso on it, and I'm like. Because that's the one. That's one of the most famous artists you could have featured, but there are countless, countless artists and artworks that were preserved. Even things down to like chairs and and bells mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. They don't. The movie doesn't. This is what annoyed me. The movie doesn't quantify enough the level of artwork stolen, the, the, the sheer scale of it all. It doesn't really. I mean, it does because you see warehouses full of stuff, but yeah. in in human terms. Apart from a few quite on the nose speeches by Clooney and Damon, it doesn't really nail down why their work was so chuffed and important. The problem for me is that it doesn't. Each of the characters don't sell why why it's individually important to them that they're doing yes. this work. Yes, uh, and I know that's a very difficult thing to do cinematically, but mm. it struck me that like some of these people are just there and they're just there to be there. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Whereas in reality, you know, they're all passionate art historians, art collectors, yeah. artists. And um, some of the most revered men in their fields, like they weren't there yeah. just because Clooney said, "Oh, hey, I'm putting a team together, guys. Let's go find." Which, let's go find yeah, some that of the... montage at the beginning does kind of do that. But anyway, let's talk a little bit mm. about the the historical accuracy of the film. Sure. Then we'll loop back round, and then we'll talk about favorite scenes and. Mm-hmm. And then we'll we'll have a bit more of a deep dive. So in 2013, Clooney told the Entertainment Weekly that 80% of the story is still completely true and accurate, and almost all of the scenes happened. Which that's a tall claim for any yeah, historical film. That mm. really is a tall claim. And it's simply not the case. Uh, broadly speaking, the story is true. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't there say there were was, genuine monuments men doing this. Yeah, there were, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's accurate in terms of historical accuracy, and I wouldn't say that almost all the scenes happened because I'll talk about a couple of them in a moment. But sure, they they did find instances which they incorporated into the plot, but yeah. of course, it's a film; they have to take creative liberties and artistic license with all of this to make it flow as a, as a piece of cinema. Um, so. Clooney himself, if we take him, he's based on uh, Lieutenant George Stout, who was a World War One veteran, and he was at the Fog Art Museum, I think in New York, um, I can't, uh, Harvard, I think. Uh, he was an art conservationist. And in 1942, late 42, he made an effort to uh, talk to the War Department about protecting art um, and tried to launch a program, but he was, he was kind of rebuffed. Uh, at the same time, so this is difficult to show in a film, but at the same time, in North Africa, in Libya, there's a colonel, a British colonel, who is uh, also an art historian, and uh, uh, and he realizes that war is going to damage important historical artifacts, and he goes to a number of sites in Libya and tries to protect them, uh, reroutes traffic, that sort of thing. Um, then in 1943, Paul Sachs, who worked with Stout, um, who isn't sort of portrayed in the film at mm. all. Um, Sachs uh, was also uh, uh, at the Fog Art Museum I think it's Fog um, and essentially he was approached and asked to set up a a project, a, a group of people that could consult 
with the war department and give advice on you know protecting art and they were essentially they were supposed to give a list of places where things that could be at risk will be mm. um yeah. and also you know things to look out for that sort of stuff um but he brought uh stout in which is uh what george clooney's character is based on who george clooney's character is based on and he kind of put him into one of the lead roles um another character if we take um jeffrey's bonneville's character uh, he's based on uh, ronald balfour who was a british officer who um he was killed in the line of duty as well um but he wasn't shot by a german no. trying to protect uh the, the statue he was actually killed in in cleave um when he by was trying to evacuate yeah. exactly by a shell burst when he was trying to evacuate um some uh civilians and also some artifacts from uh, a bombed church that would have been um, a much harder hitting scene to show it would have yeah because it would have shown them not only taking care of the art but trying to take care of people as well mm. mm-hmm. like it, it because bit... the, the what the film do, tries to do but doesn't always manage is it tries to link humanity to culture and if you if you manage to link art and also, you know, the, the humane act of trying to save civilians, that's a much more successful way of doing it. Because mm. without without humans, there's no art. Without art, there's no humans. That's kind of yeah, the broad exactly. appreciation of a culture. A really simple sequence of people being at the church, trying to help protect the paintings or whatever. Bonneville turning up with a couple of other chaps, being like, right, let's help you get the artwork out. And then him being hit by a shell burst, evacuating the people would have been 100% harder hitting because it would have shown exactly what these guys were trying to do. Not yeah. only save the art, but save the people around the art. Like, it, it, it's it's there for you. Like, it, and equally, we're robbed of a cleave representation in a movie, which we've yeah. never blooming had. Like, that is true. <laughs> it annoys me on another level, but his death is one of the most egregious parts of the movie for me. And you have the, the the letter writing over the you top. You don't even and... see the death. He's shot no, off don't. screen. He's shot off and screen. It's... It, it's not... It just Oh, it just doesn't work. It's annoying. So it's a waste of I read a, a, a 2014 article in The Guardian um, that talked about how unhappy his family were with the representation because on the Monuments Man, uh, Men website, they they linked up Balfour's character with... Uh, Balfour's, sorry, Barry. Balfour's photograph with Jeffrey's um, character, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like side by side, and Jeffrey's character isn't a straight, you know, a straightforward uh, person. He's quite complex in that mm. he has a checkered past. He's done some embezzlement, done some fraud. His father's bailed him out. So not only was his death misrepresented, but also his character was kind of besmirched by yeah. the film. So I'm not surprised that. Balfour's family wasn't particularly pleased with that. Yeah, there's a line um, in a behind-the-scenes piece of footage that I watched, and I, thinking about it now, I don't know whether it's Hugh Bonneville being tongue-in-cheek or being on the nose, but he goes, oh, see, all these guys have got helmets on in the landing craft. I'm just wearing a beret because I'm the token Brit. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if uh, wonder if he's trying to say something there. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm clutching, maybe I'm not. We'll never know. Um, but yeah, mishandling of that did annoy me a little bit. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, Monuments Men, uh, the, the unit itself, or 
the uh, Monuments, Fine Arts and Archives section of the Civil Affairs of the Western <laughs> Allied Armies. they never say in the movie. They never say the name. name actually yeah, they, was. Ne- they never give the But its peak title. was 348, 350 yeah. people strong. Yeah. And it wasn't only men, it was also women as well, which yeah. are underrepresented in the film, obviously. 100%. Not at all, because um, Blanchett's character wasn't actually a, m- a member of the Monuments Men. No. But then she um, later was. She, yeah. she obviously Rose Valley later played a, a yeah. massive, yeah, a massive part Huge in um, resecuring French, um, not only private but also national pieces of art. And you know, she was awarded the Legion d'Honneur. Um, yeah. She got the streets named after. Wrote a great book. Talk more about her in a moment. In fact, but fourteen nations. There was three hundred and fifty people from fourteen different nations, and mm-hmm. you get the token Brit, you get the token Frenchman. Um, the film doesn't really try and convey that. And what I think I also found was in- interesting was that it always shows them working in pairs or as a group. Where in yes. reality, it was monuments men, often individuals, being sent out with groups of just regular soldiers who were the, sort of like the, the the labor that could you know secure an area, package things, yeah, of, or of course, help yeah. inventory. Um, whereas in the film, it's it's just six guys that are just running across Northwest Europe mm. trying to. Trying yeah. to like just save all the art. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. It, two million it, pieces, like twenty million pieces of art, are saved by six guys. Uh, and that's where it is premise. annoying. And I think that's where it rankles for a lot of people. Because how hard would it have been to say, right, here are our six guys, but then Murray goes off with a squad of chaps. Yeah. Balaban goes off with a squad of chaps. You maybe have the core together going through it somewhere else. like, And this is where the episodic nature comes in. And maybe we should get on to final favourite scenes before we go into any well, of that. A little bit because... more before we move on. Go so on. I, I want to I talk a little bit about um, Blanchett's character, Claire, who is obviously based on Rose Valland. Um, she was an employee, um, just like the character at the Jeux de Pont Museum in, uh, in Paris, mm. who did secretly record the whereabouts of all the artefacts that the Nazis were stealing because she could speak German, but they didn't know that. Um, there were no romantic links with any of the monuments men, which the Didn't film so. shoehorns in and mm-hmm. is irritating as hell. And unnecessary. it wants to get in its fifty style love B plot. Yeah, it does. But it's just it not wants. needed. It doesn't work. It just isn't needed. There's no chemistry. It's just mm-hmm. flat. Anyway, that's for final thoughts as well. But. She wrote a book in, I think, 1957-58 called The Art Front. Um, And that book served as the uh, inspiration for the 1964 Lancaster film, The Train. Um, Which, if you want to see a film about the stolen art being spirited out of Paris with some urgency behind it, some actual urgency behind it, then watch The Train. Because... Yeah. The train captures the urgency of and and the you know the the wrenching of that art out of Paris by the Nazis, essentially stealing the French cultural heart. The the monument spend doesn't capture. No, it's and just get Kate Blanchett. Lancaster Kate Blanchett's a little bit miffed. Yeah, Kate Blanchett's yeah. a little bit miffed that the you know this is happening. Yeah, um, she's, the, she yeah. has a good scene where she like runs to the train yard and she's still on the bridge. And um, I think uh, the guy takes like fires at a Luger at her and, and she I'm like, stands why is he doing there. That? That's hard as nails. I liked that. It's cool. But it never she, happened. It shows her resoluteness, but 
yeah it, it's hackneyed it's forced i mean hair life would make a great film on its own i've got that really. in my notes it could and should be a biopic of its very mm. own because without her you don't have the ledger full of where everything's gone Without her, the job is ten times harder. The film, the, the film portrays her in prison when Damon comes to meet her. Yes, um, yes. She was arrested until her character was vouched for. Um, you know, she was thought of as a collaborator because she worked at the museum. They didn't realize that she no, exactly. stayed working at the museum because she yeah. wanted to keep track of what the Nazis were were doing with the actual art itself. Um, and then one final point um, is the Hitler Nero decree, um, which the kind of final act of the film is a crux around uh it's a, it's a major plot point in that the art is being specifically targeted for destruction because of the nero decree which said um that that you know once the right looked like it was going to fall or it was killed um you would destroy important infrastructure important mm. um bridges telecommunications equipment that sort of stuff art was never specifically mentioned in that although there were a number of ss officers yeah that considered art to be um there were the four there were four declarations during the war about art and things like that given by hitler throughout the war there's it's mm -hmm. in that lecture that i watched yeah so why didn't they just said that yeah why can't they just layman's termed it for the audience rather than making up something and amalgamating what, what surprised me too was they they never they kind of point that as a specific order for the systematic destruction of art. Yeah. Whereas in reality, the only real systematic destruction of art was of what Nazis considered degenerate art. So yes. in pre um, sort of like um like cubism, um you know, surrealism, that sort of stuff that wasn't the classical traditional sort of yeah. art styles. Um yeah. and the film just glosses over that. Um it does. And that's where it's annoying. It, it just does a lot so, of glossing. It does. And it's a classic example of Hollywood simplifying the story, you know, with a pinch mm. of artistic license. But that's fine um, if it's done well and respectfully. Yes. And this doesn't quite the, do one. It doesn't quite you, do no, the No, the other. film is on the cusp of, of it, isn't it, really? It doesn't yeah. quite manage yeah. it. Right, let's get into favourite scenes because we were let's in trouble it. of completely tarnishing this entire movie and there are some sequences that are okay. Really, there are listeners. Hello, I'm Al Murray and you're listening to Fighting on Film, the world's number one war film podcast. I know we've just said in the Ali Tally section about the historical context and things the movie gets wrong, but I think there are some things that the movie does get right. So it's an ensemble piece and you've got some of the most beloved... Funny actors from the 80s in, in Goodman and, and Murray. Yeah, you've got Clooney, who, love him or hate him, I personally do quite enjoy Clooney films. I think he's a very old 60s, 50s style actor in a modern era. I think that's his thing. He's like a sort of, he's, he's a... He's a, a Cary Grant. He's a Cary Grant, a Burt Lancaster of his Grant, time. Yeah, James Stewart-esque guy. Mm. And this movie, in a way, I think as well, I think this movie is trying, Clooney is trying to evoke those 50s, 40s war movies, um, you get a very sort of the tongue-in-cheekness of Guns of Navarone, you get the action-y bits from something like Bridget Remagen. You, you get Even the, in the editing, you know, there's, yeah. those sweeping shots of, of vehicles moving, yeah. and that helps you transition to a, a new location, a new scene. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that sort of... Yeah, yeah. there's, a, there's exactly. a feel to it. The movie as a movie 
is fine in terms of editing and sorry in terms of camera work in terms of uh the way it's uh like you see it on screen is fine but i've got final thoughts we'll cover that don't worry but my favorite scene is um it, and it's a funny section because I, uh, the thing the movie annoys me at where they can't find the tone between the comedy and the seriousness of the situation that you're in. And it, it felt like the script needed a few more goes to try and work that out. Um, mm. But there is one section that I do find funny. I like it. Um, it's when Matt Damon stands on the landline, because for me, that that's when the comedy and the seriousness comes in because you direct someone is directly in, t- in danger and it's not it's not going to affect like the historical accuracy of the movie or any, in that way if you know what i mean yeah. it's not actually about the monuments men and what they're doing in the situation it's oh god i've stepped on a landmine mm-hmm. and all the chaps come out and bill murray's like well it'll be a dud like they've burned this place down like surely it was not going to work um and they devise this sort of like wooden beam for damon to hold on to and he can step off and then when it goes off, it there's like a flash and nothing happens. Um, and he 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 doesn't go on one, he goes on two. Um, and you get Murray going, Well, I told you it was a dud. And in that section, I feel like all the guys feel like a unit. They feel they've been through a lot. Two of their members have died. I mean, say less about their deaths because I think they're played quite cheaply. I think Jean-Claude's death is played for laughs. I didn't like the way they did that um of him being in that field with the Germans on one side, the Americans on the other. And I, and I'm yeah, sitting there thinking, kind of I meant to, to jump in. The, uh, into the yeah. Truck. I meant to find this funny. Like it tonally was really off. Um, but that sequence there, Matt Damon's bit, because it, because it made me chuckle and the, the comedy actually worked. It's fine. Like I like that scene. And there's a few other bits that work fine for me. Like them coming onto Normandy beach is nice because you get yeah, the scale of everything. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the sequences where they're moving through although the representations might not be 100 percent correct i think the majority of representations of, of allied troops in staging areas in encampments just being around the place feels quite nice it works but all my other issues are going to be in final thoughts so matt maybe you should have your maybe you should do your favorite scene so the mine that that matt damon steps on uh is a telemine 35 which is actually an anti-tank mine um, oh okay interesting didn't know that the minute I th- if i'm if i'm right from the the book i had a quick look at because i i am that guy mine um, expert matthew moss not 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 a mine expert don't 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 quote mine me matters that. with matthew moss on the oh, fighting my, film podcast yeah. wow um the the minimum uh, trigger weight is about 200 pounds um so matt damon must have weighed over 200 pounds well they do make a joke about that don't they because they say how much you weigh and he goes 173 pounds and they go really and he goes 173 pounds in, in grad school so it, it is implied that he weighs a lot more but yeah it's just a little uh, little tidbit there i thought i had to throw in fair enough fair um, enough my favorite scene is actually um one of the one of the better um sort of choreographed and, and framed sequences um bill Murray's character has a toothache and they go to a dentist uh, near Arkham, I think. And mm. um, the, they're chatting to the dentist. And he's, the dentist says, oh, I have a, a, a nephew um, who was in Paris during the occupation. He likes art. He might be able to help you. 
Um, so they go, okay, great. He, and they they drive out there to his house. Very Bavarian, very beautiful. Mm. Um, so sort of uh, like farm. And they they the given tea. They're sat around a big dining table and they're chatting um, about. Yeah. Oh, you were in Paris, and he says I was in Paris, but I wasn't really a uh, an officer. I was just doing my. Because he's job. the big bad from the start, isn't he? He's the big bad. He's yeah. um he's stall. Yeah. Um. And during this sequence, Bob Balaban is is circling the room, and the room is quite noticeably um, chocker. It's chocker full of paintings it? with a lot yeah. of quite famous um, yeah. and notable paintings. It's like Dulwich Art Gallery in there. It's got it all going on. Dulwich Art Gallery is one of the premium art galleries in London. I love it. Um, and he's he's looking at the back of paintings, and and Maury's making small talk. He he makes his way around the edge of the the, the table, and he goes, "Do you know the Rothschilds?" And he says, "I no, I don't know the Rothschilds." Um, and he sits down. He goes, "These paintings, they're they're, they're you know they're great, aren't they?" And he says, "Yeah, they're all copies. They're all they're all uh, yeah. like I can't afford the real thing." Got a make HMV um, in the poster section. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're all prints, mate. They're all prints. And, all prints um, yeah. One of one of five thousand. And <laughs> and Balaban says, Well, that one's has literally has property of the Rothschild family stamped on the back of it. It's a good line. Um, it's it's good. It's, that sequence is quite funny. I'll give you and that. The, and the the, the Stahl's face is just, you know, ashen and it yeah. the camera pans across. Um and it to 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 Maury, and he sat there with his 1911 on the table, and it's just it's <laughs> yeah. great. And and with just in a beat, Balaban turns to Stahl's kids who are playing on the other side of the room and says Heil Hitler, and they they snap to attention and shout Heil Hitler back to him. Yeah, and it's it's a very well done sequence, which because Murray and Balaban brings... sell it. Yeah, 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 and they. It's one of the sequences in the film. Um, that has a little bit of weight to it. It does, yeah, yeah, say. and it's just desserts for the how cruel that man was at the start. Exactly, um, um, and apparently it was based on a real situation. Okay, um, but the German didn't have uh, the actual stolen art hung on the wall, but his father-in-law, the dentist, did take um, the character that Bill Murray, uh, the, the the actual real chap that Bill Murray's mm. character is based on. Um, to his house um, because he knew he'd been in okay. Paris and he'd, he'd helped um, had an interest in art and he inadvertently did take him to quite a senior uh, SS officer's house who had been involved in spiriting all the art away. Oh, okay. So it's um, a decent amalgamation. You could have yeah. had that sequence for in full, really. It wouldn't have hurt. Um, and, and But that pretty much that, is the sequence, just a couple yeah. of tweaks. Mm. A, little, a little bit more snappy for, you know, Cinema sake. Um, I like how smug Mario Balaban look when they're in their Jeep with him at the end. I yeah. really like that. It's really cute. <laughs> there's another Balaban um scene which I'll just mention very briefly, but there's a montage of where they're training and it pans past some chaps doing pistol training and, and Balaban's on the end and he's got a Smith and Wesson military and police revolver and he just empties the revolver, sl- swings out the cylinder, empties it, and then slaps it back it's in very with cool. a flick of the wrist. And it's then holsters cool. it. He's very cold in that sequence, and the scene that follows, where he's like, "I want to kill someone." Yeah, I want to kill a German. Are we going to yeah. get to kill people? I'm like, "Oh, okay." Bob Balaban is gunning for people. Bob Balaban got that dog in him. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I like the bit where Murray oh, gets... going hard. Another thing I like, I like the little... Although I think it's rushed and it annoys me, I do like the sequence where they get all their... They get into kit and you've got Goodman with his helmet on. They give him a oh, liner just, and it's yeah, too small. Yeah. And then they give him the full helmet and he like pushes it up like a hat mm-hmm. and like walks off nonchalant. I love that. Murray getting his M1 carbine, he puts it on his shoulder like stripes. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um and that, and then I think this is going to slide in to final thoughts very seamlessly here. Yeah. Um, and therein lies the fucking rub with this movie, right? <laughs> it feels like a series of vignettes. It is really, really episodic. And I think the issues with that tonal shift in the edit that people speak about and Clooney's mentioned is where it falls down. It feels like you've super cut a series together mm. because I would much rather if this had been a, a, it's the wrong thing to sort of liken it to but I wanted it to be more like a combat-esque series half hour little shorts where we're like right this week it's Marion Balaban with, with a crew of so sorry like a you know maybe like a 29th infantry div platoon and they stumble across a dentist and the dentist says there's yeah. paintings and they find the paintings and then and then at the end you get a these are the paintings of things that were found next mm-hmm. week you have um you know bonneville in the reichsfeld trying to save these paintings and the people he gets killed off yeah? yeah yeah it it feels like that and that's where the tone stuff just and the the constant muddling of it all like the first half for me is just so rushed it throws everything at you super quick. Here, paintings are going to be bro- broken and, and ripped and, and destroyed. Um, this really important statue, St. Michael, is going to be, you know, blown to bits if we're not careful. Mr. FDR, can you please let us go and do this? Well, that's your opening episode, isn't it? Yeah. And then you get the whole yeah. muddled bit with Valand and her and, and boiling her down to a plot device, essentially. Um, and, and it really gets my go. But then by the second half, after they've had the two deaths and they're and they're find, trying to find the mine at the end, that feels like its own arc. And it's much mm. stronger because it's one thing rather than them shooting off episodically, which I feel is where the movie falls down. Because I would have much rather have seen a six, ten episode. Why does Matt Damon go behind enemy lines? Exactly. He's not it's OSS. so muddled. Yeah, and it just... I, I did actually. I, I just just to pick a couple of those comedic moments that did work. Blanchett spitting in the champagne glass at the beginning was funny. Yeah, um, everyone ripping Matt Damon's terrible French, classic. It's funny. Um, yeah, it goes a bit a lower lowy. I think. How do you know you never watched it? Well, I, I watched some of it after we have ways. So. <laughs> Yeesh. That's scrambling. Not, that's not one of my favorite things. That's Didn't great. like that. That's great. No, that's great. Nope. nope. Um, I'm a secret army man. That it's a homage to Secret Army. That's why I don't like it. Because <laughs> I much prefer Secret I mean, Army. I haven't watched Secret Army, so maybe once I watch Secret Army, I'll be like, oh no, hello, hello is ruined for me because Secret Army is so much better. It's <laughs> picking on me now, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, I completely agree with what you said there. And as we said earlier, the, the Valan character could have easily had her own film. 
Yeah. And or just we, being valid. Like, what's the harm? Yeah, I know. We, well, we talked about this, didn't we? We talked about this when we were both watching it. And we we said that her character would have been better left out of this film if they really wanted to to nail down the Monuments Men. Yeah. Um, because either go hard on that character or yeah. strip it right back. Because yes. the, there's no need for that that romantic sequence there's no yeah. need for that the one part of that actual sequence which i did really like was when they go to that warehouse which is full of reclaimed uh jewish furniture yes um, stuff that had been taken from jewish french jewish um families and put in a that warehouse. hit home and that was good and i liked i like the little sequence where where damon's character takes the one painting of probably the mother and takes it back to the house that it was from it's empty it's derelict and he puts it back on the wall and it's so like powerful for when they for, yeah. for when or if any of their family come we back. needed fucking yeah. more of that that was good because <laughs> it, it finally connected the people to the art but what i didn't like was the very much on the nose speeches from clooney's character which the first one okay it's setting up things yeah there's a couple of others along the way which are just like I would rather have had it more organic where each of the individual characters explains why art is important to them. I don't really need a number of different speeches from Clooney to do that. It's, and yeah, also agreed. one of the sequences, which didn't sit flush with me, I would, I would say it, I didn't mind it and hate it. It's a good scene um, in that it's, <laughs> it's kind of like what, you would imagine you would love to say to someone in that situation if you had the chance and you had thought it uh, beforehand. It's the scene where um, Clooney confronts the captured SS Colonel. I knew um, you were going to say that. I knew it. And he he just he just slates the guy and he knocks him down in such a way. And it's brilliant. It's great. Like yeah, it's the kind the of way you wish you could fantastic. talk to an SS Colonel. Yeah. You know, yeah, put yeah, him yeah. in his place. And he's in, I assumed he was insinuating that the diner is a Jewish-owned diner. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I assume that's yes, what he was getting absolutely. At. Absolutely, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Or, but, or, better still, instead of having the bit at the end where you have the old Clooney, yeah, have, have that, have the, that have sequence. Diner. Yeah, that would have been good. Chop up some of the bits at the start, chop them off a bit, and mm -hmm. have them after the war showing why that what they did was so important yeah similarly that sequence is supposed to show that people you know the saving of that piece of art matters to people but it's just a small tour group in a church yeah you, they should have yeah. had like a group of people and a tour guide explaining the significance of the statue and the significance of the fact that 30 years ago a group of people recognized the importance of it and yeah. saved it yeah that would have been more effective a tall guy could than have just said that. The Nick Clooney going, yeah. Yeah, tall guy could have said that to the group. Have that sequence longer. Tall guy says that to the group. The group filter out. An old guy and, his, and a young, the young lad stay. Yeah. And Clooney points at the statue. And he pulls and goes, out, out of his pocket a bagel with Sal's diner written just on the, on the piece of paper. That, and, and, and takes a it. bite. Yeah. That would have been nice. That would have been nice. <laughs> oh, my way would have done, well, this is the statue I told you about, kid. Yeah. Something like that. And that's why it's important, because then it links it again. As, and I would have liked to see more of old of Clooney's dad, because he, he looked great. 
Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong. I think that's the issue with it. There's nothing particularly wrong with these scenes. It's how they're dealt with and how they're mashed into that final edit. Because mm. my this is my final sort of final thought, where you've got everything going for you. You've got the cast. Nothing wrong with them. You've got the set dressing, the mise en scène, the camera work. It's all perfectly fine. You know, and I think it's way, way better than this movie deserves, right? <laughs> because imagine having another mid-budget war film around this time, like on the coattails of Fury, with this level of uh, kit and everything else, attention to detail in it. It's we clearly a that. passion project. It, of course, clearly cared about it. Every, yeah, and you you, li- you listen to the to the behind the scenes stuff, and all the actors say it was fantastic on set. Clooney's a great director to work for. He brings a level of professionalism, but he's also really fun and we felt so relaxed. And John Goodman's even said it was one of the best experiences of his career because it reignited wow. him because um, he was going through some personal issues at the time. Um, it seems like everyone had an absolute hoot on this film. But then it's that final edit and the tonalness of it and the episodic nature of it. And I am, you know, I have read a lot of contemporary reviews on it and I do agree with them that this may have been better as a series. And that, and that I, is I agree. my I final, agree. final issue with it. Everything is is about that edit doesn't pay off for me. And that's why it's annoying. It's more annoying than anything else. Well, if we go back to the beginning where you talked about some of the issues with getting the film out in time, I think getting that tone right in the edit is one of those things because you're dealing with a film which has quite clear comedic aspirations. And a number of those moments are included and there's a number of moments which are you know very serious they deal with the holocaust um and the, the you know the human toll of that yeah uh like the scene with the the the, the gold fillings um the scene uh, that we mentioned uh, with Damon and Blanchett in the warehouse the scene uh, the, the scene with Epstein um Prime Epstein where he talks about his grandfather that you you know explains to him we can't go to that museum because we're too short and then he says all of Europe was too short for Hitler and that was a really nice line, and Lovely it was a line. nice little scene. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't come together homogeneously, no, to, to form something that y- you couldn't. You can really go that that was very good. That was well handled. That was mm. on point in terms of um, tone throughout, because it just fluctuates, and yeah. it makes it a bit, a bit more of a middling film. It makes a monumental task a, a minimal film kind, kind of yeah yeah to yeah. try and echo the, the name of the movie really yeah coolly you know we got like it. i haven't written it. that in the notes um we got, it. <laughs> we got there in the end but so what you're saying matt is essentially two weeks ago if you listen to the episode where we likened it to homer simpson's makeup gun where it shoots a hell of a lot of things at you and hopes it sticks do you still agree with that I do, I do. And I agree I, that I it agree. should have been a series that got yeah. pad out pad out like a f- six episode series. Great. In this streaming era of big budget streaming series, Amazon Prime could have easily done something like this. Yeah, Apple, but it, it, it easily it's just five years too soon. Exactly. It, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it and I still think I, I still would recommend people to see it. Because it's a great jumping off point to learn more about the monuments it is. themselves. It, it was a massive undertaking for just 350 people. Um, 
there's there's I read a couple of parts from um, Stout's journal where he talk where he, he talks about I am God of Men. Just simply mm. can't pack it pack things mm. up fast enough. Yeah. Um, and he, the logistical effort of trying to inventory and save all of these pieces that they found in the mines, they found in yeah. trucks on trains, etc. Incredible. There's a fantastic the image. Doesn't quite. No. Doesn't get, get that there. scope, that scale. No. There's a fantastic image in the Met uh, lecture, and I'll implore everyone who's listening to the show, please go and find it. I'll link it on the Twitter one day this week, um, a date recording. Um, there's a picture of one of the ruined buildings that they come across, and they're going to use it to um, house re- reclaimed paintings and artwork and pieces. And it's bombed out. It's rubble. It's destitute. It, it's soot all over the walls. There's rubble everywhere. And in two weeks, by the monuments men, and I'm sure a lot of help from a lot of GIs or, or British troops or whoever, um, it's been transformed into this pristine, clean environment where all these paintings are housed perfectly in little wooden frames, and it's been completely redone. And I'm think, and I thought to myself, they fucking cared so much, and the movie just doesn't quite convey that. And if the movie could have shown you that taking this bombed out nothing of a building that looked like it wasn't fit for anything to then house some of the most important paintings in human history in the space of two weeks that would have been enough and i think that's where i'm going to end it because i think that shows the level of what these guys were doing you look at the number of oscar nominees you look at the the talent attached to this film exactly it's just a bit of a wasted opportunity isn't it it is. And I, I think that is that is 2014's Monuments Men, a wasted opportunity. And I feel for everyone involved because clearly they did give a shit. But somewhere. Yeah. And, and from that email wrong. you read out about Clooney, he clearly wanted it of, to of be course. a success. Yeah. No one wants to make a failure, do they? No, no. one does. It's not why you make movies. As, as I said, I think it really was a, a passion project for him. I'd like to see another Clooney war film um, just because I, I like the amount of um, care and effort put into it. It's just a shame that the final outcome wasn't 100. But there we have it, folks. That was 2014's The Monuments Men. Um, it's available on all sorts of streaming platforms. You can get it quite easily. DVD of it is quite cheap. Um, but yeah, do join us again next week for more war movie reviews. Uh, keep it fighting on film. Uh, do join us on our socials. You can find us on X, Instagram, Threads, uh, probably Blue Sky at some point, and uh, TikTok as well. So um, do join us again, and we'll catch you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.